voice of millions of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Let's try that again. There we go. Hey, good morning, church. Yes. Man, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for joining us at Crosspoint. It's always a great time for the family of God to be together in one place, uh, to lift his name in praise, to say, Jesus Christ, you are on your throne. We believe that, and we love you because of what you've done for us. Amen, church? We love the life that he's given us, and so we want to live in the culture in which we do to give him glory, to represent him well, to say, God, we want to live a life of thankfulness because of the salvation you've given to us. We want to say a welcome to our guests that are here today as well. Thanks for joining us, being a part of our time together. We hope and trust that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst, that you've felt the Holy Spirit in this place. Uh, but we'd also love for you to consider joining us here at Crosspoint. If you don't have a church family, we'd love for you to join our family and help share that story, that message of hope that is Jesus Christ using your gift set in lots of different ways. As Luke mentioned, there's a, a lot of ways to get plugged into ministry. Check our bulletin out. We'd love for you to use your gift set to help us tell the story of Jesus Christ right here at Cross Point. Well, we are in uh, our third week of Reveal, which is a study through the book of Revelation this summer. We're glad that you're here to take part in that. Uh, we're going to be in chapters 6 and 7 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we hope that you'll turn there with me uh, as we dig into some very tough uh, literature today in chapter 6 as we talk about suffering. How do we faithfully follow Jesus Christ with the suffering that is going on, maybe even in your life, but certainly in the world, with sin all around us and chaos everywhere, how do we fix our eyes on Jesus and how do we really plug in to what he's called us to live right here in our culture? How do we be a light on a hill to the community in which we live to let them know there is a better way than what Satan is offering? And that thing is Jesus Christ. He fulfills us in every way. He is our salvation, our glory, he is everything to us, and we want to rejoice in him uh, today. We live in a world that is full of suffering, and you may be experiencing some of that in your life right now. I don't know if you've got uh, a relationship that's kind of been busted. Maybe you thought it might last forever, and someone decided to go a different direction. Uh, maybe you've got the feeling the loss of a family member or a friend uh, to death, and you're feeling that empty chair uh, in your life. Uh, maybe you've lost a job and you're searching for work and you haven't located that yet. But each and every one of us deal with suffering, some level of suffering in our life. And it's all because of Satan. It's all because of sin in the world. And Jesus wants to offer us something totally different than what this world has to offer. And so we lean into his story. But suffering and, and persecution, like we're going to talk about this morning, uh, really is serious around the world. We're kind of sheltered from that type of persecution really here in, here in America. 
But if you take a look all around the world, you can see those folks who live in China who are part of an underground church because it's illegal to be a Christian in China. Or maybe those that live in North Africa, South Sudan, who literally are having their homes burnt down and the loss of life of family members because they profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Are those who are the end result of a cell group from the Middle East who want to talk about their particular brand of religion and are coming down hard on those who proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord. There is a lot of suffering in this world. Our team right now, uh, our mission team, is in Kenya, Africa at Sam's Place, uh, which we work with and help about 40 different kids who are deaf. uh, And they themselves may be looking at us who are hearing and asking, why am I not hearing? They're dealing with their own level of suffering in this world. And again, all because of Satan, all because of sin in the world. And so we lean into that story of Jesus. We keep our eyes on him because that's what matters. That Jesus Christ is indeed on his throne in heaven and he reigns supreme. And we want to lift him up in our life and give him glory in all things. Last week we finished our time together in worship. And in chapter 5 we're left with the lamb holding the scroll that has seven seals. And I want to remind you, as we move through Revelation, we're realizing that everything in Revelation is symbolic. Numbers mean something. Graphic images mean one thing. And so when you see that number seven, that should send bells off in your mind as, okay, this means uh, completeness or wholeness. And so these seven seals in chapter 6 are going to be broken by the Lamb. And in doing so, we're going to see and it's going to be revealed the suffering that is part of the creation that we live in, the culture in which we live in today. Suffering is described in chapter 6. But the seals are also revealed in two other events that we'll look at later in our study. Not today. We'll look at the seals today. But there are also there are seven seals. There are also seven trumpets. And there are seven bowls. And it's a set of three judgments. Now, some people believe that these judgments are sequential. They're going to happen one after the other. There's a timeline in these particular seals, trumpets, and bowls that all these will take place in a certain sequence of events. But I believe that John is really showing us the same sequence of events, but from different angles. And you and I have seen that before in football. ESPN does it all the time. Someone makes a touchdown, and they say, no, no, it was his knee down first. And so they begin taking a look at that, and they'll use three different camera angles to discover exactly, did he make the touchdown or not? And so they use those different angles to discover the truth. And so as we take a look uh, today at the seven seals and in the future at the trumpets and the bowls, it's really John writing down a view from the same thing but from different angles. Now, it's interesting because there is a difference in the seals and then the trumpets and the bowls in that the trumpets and the bowls seem to, to mirror the, uh, the Egyptian plagues that happened way back in the book of Exodus When Moses was confronting Pharaoh, asking to let his people go, God's people go, and so plagues reigned on the land in Egypt. And so as we read through uh, some of these different suffering moments that are going to happen, you're going to see water turn to blood, you're going to see locusts, you're going to see hailstorms, and a lot of that language is used in the Exodus account. 
Now, if you remember the story in Exodus, the very last plague was the death of the firstborn, and God's death angel was coming through, but you were saved if you had the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. The angel of God would pass over your house, and that's where the festival for Passover came into play. It was a celebration that the angel of God had passed over our house because the blood of the lamb was on the door. And so we see some similarities with the bowls and the trumpets, but what we find with the seals is that all of creation is going to have to endure some level of suffering because that's just what sin does to the creation of God. As we study chapter 6 and beyond, we're going to discover that even the people of God are going to have to endure some level of suffering. Now, there are different interpretations for what those seven seals look like. What do they actually mean? Uh, And we're going to discover those as we unfold part of this area of Revelation in chapter 6. And I want to remind us that we're not not getting caught up in all the different interpretations that exist because there are several out there. We're not stopping and look at every single piece of imagery, every single number, that we're looking at the broad spectrum of what Revelation means for us as the people of God and the culture we live in today. If you'll remember, day one, we talked about what is the overarching question that we're asking as we study Revelation, and it's this, how can I be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who's ready for Jesus' return? How can I be a faithful follower of Christ who's ready for Jesus to come back? And so we're discovering, we're gleaning from this letter that John wrote, how in our own culture we can be those kinds of people who are faithful to God and who are ready for Jesus Christ to come home. We're not going to get caught up in every little nuance of Revelation. It's kind of like a tour guide. You've been on some of those before where you don't stop and look at all the intricate paintings. Maybe you walk into a room, and this is what this thing is, and we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. That's what we're doing in Revelation, kind of a tour guide uh, moment. Kale, I think we're tracking here because first service laughed at that. I don't know. (laughs) What we don't want to miss is the big picture of God. The big picture that God wants to offer us as people, family of God in the culture in which Uh, we currently live. We don't want to get bogged down in other things, but see what God's actually trying to show us through Revelation. As we study chapter 6 here in just a moment, uh, you're going to see a word. It's used actually in chapter 7 and verse 14, but it's it's called the Great Tribulation. And maybe if you've been in church, been around church much, you've heard that term before, the Great Tribulation. But tribulation is just a generic term. Uh, There's not a set sequence of of events that are going to happen. It's not a timeline that's going to unfold. The Great Tribulation simply means great suffering. Tribulation just means suffering. And there's going to be suffering, as you probably have already experienced in your own life, uh, in this life and on this earth. Now, some believe that these seven seals represent a literal seven years of of tribulation. But understand, John doesn't address ever that it's going to be a seven-year tribulation. He doesn't talk like that. But there are three different views of how some people interpret chapter 6. Some people believe that before the seven-year suffering, the seven-year tribulation, that there's going to be a rapture, that people of God, people who believe in Jesus Christ are going to be caught up into the clouds and meet Jesus. And then the suffering will happen over a seven-year period. Others believe that it's actually more like a halfway point, 
that even the people of God will experience some of that suffering, but about three and a half years into that suffering, the rapture will happen, will be caught up into the clouds, and then the really bad suffering will happen after God's people are gone. The third is this, that we're on the earth, all of us together, through all of the seven years of suffering, and then the rapture will happen, we'll be caught up into the clouds with Jesus, and Jesus' return will be imminent. Now, we could spend lots of weeks breaking down those three ideas and what chapter 6 is really all about. And that within itself would be a lot of suffering. And I don't want to do that to you guys. It would be its own torture. But understand, there are reputable theologians out there, academians, who can make every one of those points make sense. But again, we're not getting caught up in all of that. Revelation is not a code to break It's not something, a puzzle we've got to figure out, but what we want to look at in our study is the big picture, the big picture for what God wants us to see through Revelation. And the best way for us to read Revelation, as we've said from day one, is to read it through the eyes of those first century Christians, about 95, 96 AD, because they were enduring incredible suffering and persecution for the cause of Christ. That seven-year tribulation would have been more in line with what those Readers of this letter in the first century would have said, yes, that's exactly what we're going through right now. Robin and I, last week, we watched the movie Paul, the Apostle of Christ. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it yet, I encourage you to do so. Uh, the, the whole movie is Paul is in prison in Rome. It's talking, uh, using the church there in Rome to help, uh, help him and aid other Christians. Luke comes on the scene, and he's writing down the book of Acts Uh, hearing the story from Paul, but in the background through the whole movie, you see the persecution of Christians happening, and it's what that first century would have endured under the reign of Domitian and the Roman Empire. It would have been very tough. They would not have read chapter 6 as some future event that is to unfold or to happen. They would have seen it as their current reality of the suffering that they were enduring for the cause of Christ. And as you read Revelation, it's going to enlighten different people in different areas of the world, depending on what you're going through. Here in America, we might say that we are enduring persecution and suffering because prayer has been taken out of school. Some courthouses have removed the Ten Commandments. But it would be very different outside our borders. Because as I've already said, there are people in North Africa who are losing property and life because they've decided to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. There are people arrested in China because they're caught attending Christian church. And the list goes on and on for those that suffer. It's a different perspective for us here in America. And the questions that we ask and around the world are asked by Christians are the same questions that those first century Christians would have asked under their persecution. How much longer will it last? Will I be able to endure what Satan is throwing at me right now and remain faithful to Christ? Those are the questions that we ask today as we lean into persecution, as we understand the suffering that sin has caused in this world has nothing to do with what God wants for us. His his beautiful picture for us as his creation is just that, beautiful. And so the suffering, the persecution that we endure for his name is, is, a, is something that Satan is doing. It's what sin's brought into the world. And so let's begin our text with our text today in chapter 6 and verse 1. 
John says, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. And when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the, uh, the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat of bread and three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. And then the lamb broke the fourth seal, and I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up, and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. Now, these two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. John introduces, as he writes down, a, a common phrase among churchgoers, and that is the four horses of the apocalypse. And I'd like to take a moment to explain each one of those just briefly. They have been released to, to create suffering and turmoil within the world. The white horse represents conquest. He carries a bow, the rider does, and he is bent on conquest. That visual would have been very powerful for the first century Christians. Uh, the Parthian warriors were mounted cavalry that were great archers who roamed the steppes of Asia and parts of Europe, conquering those who were not well defended. The first century Christians would have absolutely understand, understood that visual. But understand the white horse has been on the earth since sin entered the world. Because there have been many throughout history who have been bent on conquest. People like Genghis Khan, people like Adolf Hitler, conquering the world, his desire to conquer the world. People in the Middle East, the cell groups who are out to change the world for their particular religion, bent on conquest. And again, that white horse has been on the earth since sin came into the world. And then there was the red horse, which represents war. He brings blood and death during conflict. He carries a sword and he's been given the authority to take away peace from the people. He turns human beings against one another. And you and I can turn on the news on any given night and we can see the presence of the red horse, whether it's in Syria, genocide, killing your own people, again, cell groups in the Middle East who are reaching out to the rest of the world for conquest and war. And then the black horse shows up in John's vision, and it represents famine and economic collapse. Those two things always follow conquest and war. There's always trouble, and the rider carries scales. That would have been a great visual for those first century Christians because scales represent the measuring of money and of food. And there are prices shouted out from heaven. A denarius is about one day's wage. It's all the economy will allow in the moment, just enough to feed you for a day. And each day brings for those first century Christians and for us today the question, will I have enough? Will God supply what I need to get through the day? 
through the week, through the month. And it doesn't matter how small or large your bank account is, we all ask that question. We want to know if we've got enough for retirement, if we've got enough to make it through the day, the week. It does describe our world today. And the indication is that it's going to be more difficult on those who are poor rather than those who are wealthy, who are wealthy. We look at our world today, and there are about 7 billion people who live on our planet. About 7 billion people. You know, about 80% of our population lives on about $2.50 a day. And almost 25% of our world population is starving to death. The black horse has been around since sin entered the world. It's that moment where we ask that question, will we make it through? Will we have enough? And finally, John visualizes the pale horse, which none of us can escape. Death and the grave. Now, what's disturbing about this particular image in chapter 6 is it seems like heaven is allowing it. It's equipping the writers with what they need. Every writer gets what they need. But what you and I need to realize and hold firm to is that God isn't causing these things. It doesn't make sense to our finite minds sometimes, but what we've got to hold on to is that Jesus Christ is on his throne in heaven and he alone reigns supreme. That he is in control of everything, even when I don't understand the picture, even when I don't understand the storyline, even when I look around and I see the suffering and chaos that sin has allowed into the world, I've got to realize and hold fast to that my God is the God and he sits on the throne and he is in control. And so as we read through chapter 6, the question is, is this coming tribulation or is this happening now? And the answer is yes. We live in a time of tribulation, as did those first century Christians. Things will continue to be difficult, even as followers of Christ. And the bad news is it will get worse before Jesus Christ returns, because that's how sin operates. Satan, our enemy, will do anything it takes to get us to, to for, forget our relationship with Jesus Christ, to pull our eyes off of him and worry about the mundane, what's going on around us. But our call as people of God is to continue to focus on Jesus Christ, to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, and to know that he is God, that he reigns supreme, and he's already won the victory. Church, we are a blessed people, no matter what's going on in the world. And I know as I've heard your stories before, that some of you are suffering through some things that are more than I can imagine. Some of you are dealing with, with cancer, and maybe some of you just learned about that you've got cancer. So some of you are dealing with the loss of a relationship, whether it's to death or someone decided to walk away. Someone in your life has decided to call it quits on the marriage, and they've left the relationship. Some of us are dealing with job loss and we're looking but can't seem to find work and we're wondering how am I going to support my family. There are some of you that are dealing with suffering and loss greater than I could imagine. But the call this morning is for us to keep our eyes fixed on, fixed on Jesus and know that he will provide and that he will hold us up in times of sorrow and heartache. John's vision goes on to continue in verse 9. John 
says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls, souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? I want to stop right there for a moment. It's marked in my Bible. If you haven't, I encourage you to circle two words. How long? How long? Because you and I have asked that before. If you're anything like me, there, there are people who have done some tough things to me in my life. And I look at Jesus and I say, how long before they get their up and comings? Is it just me? or ever? Okay. We ask that question so often as we look at sin in our life, as we look at the chaos in the world around us, as we see terrible things done to great and righteous people. We asked Jesus, how much longer? And he says, be patient. Verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. Jesus says, you asked the question, how much longer? And the very next thing he does is give you a white robe. Why? To remind you that you're already victorious. No matter what's going on in the world, church, you're already victorious because our Jesus Christ has already won the battle. He is a risen Savior, and he is commander of everything. And so we serve that risen Savior in such a way to live out that kind of life that he's brought us to. And we rejoice in the fact that we are victors with him because we're found in him. Verse 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person... All hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Now these last few verses have been tricky. In interpretation at times. There are some that would say, reading those verses, that John's actually seeing a nuclear holocaust. But remember, we're reading this letter through the eyes of that first century church, and they could not have imagined something like that. We don't know exactly what's happening in these final few verses in chapter 6. What we do know, though, is everything is laid low, everything is destroyed, and everyone is scared. Everyone's looking to, where is the joy? Where is my peace? Where do I put my faith? They ask the question, who can withstand it? And so our question this morning, as is the question for those in that first century, is how do we get through this? How do we lean into the story of Jesus Christ after I'm seeing everything that's going on around me in the world, after I see the sin that exists, the terror that exists, the shootings that are going on, the racial discrimination and divides that happen, 
all of the different things that are happening outside the United States as well. How do we as people of God get through this? And John's vision of chapter 6 shows us the terrible suffering that the world has to go through, but there's promise because in chapter 7 we turn a corner. And some great and promising things are revealed to us in chapter 7. Take a look beginning in chapter 7, verse 9. John says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. And they sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Church, that's what we've got to look forward to. Worshiping our God who sits on the throne in heaven with the myriads of angels and other created beings that will be with us. It will be an incredible time of celebration. And John reveals to us the celebration that is going on in heaven. As those that are called his sons and daughters are gathered around the throne to sing to him, to worship to him. An incredible time of victory as all of us are given those white robes, as we, as we sway those palm branches in the air, symbolic of victory and the Messiah, the Son of God, it is an incredible moment of singing. Our singing has been great here this morning. You guys have sounded great, but imagine that times a million. I mean, in heaven, it is going to be tremendous. And one of the elders looks at John, and he reminds him, he says, That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life giving water. Indeed, God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Church, can you imagine that? Standing before the throne, you are known by name, and the text says he's going to give you life-giving water, and he's going to wipe away everything that ever brought suffering and sorrow to you. It's such an incredible time of worship, Such an incredible awe-seeking moment that in chapter 8 in verse 1, when the seventh seal is broken, it says there was nothing but silence in all of heaven because everyone was just in awe of the Lamb who is worthy to break all the seals, who's able to hold a scroll, who's able to shepherd his people and wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's a lot we can get caught up in in today's message, especially chapter 6. So we have to walk away this morning asking, what is the message of chapter 6 and 7? And here it is. If you're not ready, get ready because Jesus is coming. 
And I don't know about you, I used a word a couple of weeks ago, Maranatha, and it says, Lord, come quickly. And so I say Maranatha. I'm ready for him to come back. What about you, church? I mean, if he came today, it would be a glorious day. We would be in his presence before his throne, and every sorrow would be wiped away. I am so ready for that church. What a great opportunity we have as people of God to share that message of hope to all those around us, those who are are following ways of the world, who are not fixed on Jesus, for us to remind them of the hope they can have in our Savior. He will make all things new in your life. And so this morning we come together to celebrate just that very thing. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. Uh, And as we sing this song, I want us to lift the rafters. I I want us to be reminded that Jesus does make all things new. No matter where you find yourself, what you're going through, what suffering you're enduring, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he will make all things right in the end. And I want to be with you around that throne as we lift his name in praise, as we give him all glory for what he's done for us in our life. As we sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And maybe in your own life, you've experienced a hiccup. You've got something going on that's keeping you from fully focusing on who Jesus is and what he's called you to be in your life. And so seek one of our shepherds out. Let them pray for you, pray over you, lay hands on you. That the Holy Spirit would reveal to you how to move that obstacle out of the way. So that you can fully be integrated into the story of God and witness that to those around. This world is full of suffering, church, but we serve a risen Savior who's conquered everything. You're already victorious. Let's celebrate that this morning. Let's stand together.